one of these days. I can find I'm the most optimistic. That's right. Well, it's just a... How about tomorrow for a while? I'm getting to be glad that my wife isn't here. <laughs> I wouldn't see her. <laughs> Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we praise your name that Christ indeed is King. And we praise your name, Lord, that you did not leave us in a foolish blindness that refused him, even against the clear light of his person and work. But you opened our eyes to behold our need and your appointed Savior and drew us with those strong cords of love and made us willing in the day of his power. So we thank you that you brought us and your children Unto our children, unto Christ, and that He is our King and our Savior, and that we have Your Word that then teaches us how we should respond in gratitude. We thank You, Lord, that we have a Lord's Day, a day of rest and gladness, a day of edification and sanctification, a day not only for us but for our children. And as we discuss some this afternoon, uh, how we make this day a delight for our children. And may this indeed be the case for all of our children here this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What are you doing over there? You can either open your Bibles or here on the top of your page we have Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." On more than one occasion when I have uh, had the opportunity to preach or teach uh, on the Sabbath and sought to emphasize the beauties of the Lord's Day, afterward someone has come up, uh, often maybe, well back then, maybe in their 20s, maybe now in their 30s, and, and they would say something like this to me. Well, you know, I was raised in a home that was very strict about the Sabbath, and I would never, ever submit my children to something like that. Now perhaps that's been the experience of some of you. Now when I've asked them, well, how were you raised and how was the Sabbath kept in your home? Unfortunately, they came out of a, of a situation that was very negative and that uh, there were things that they could not do on the Lord's Day that they did other days of the week but nothing was put in the place of those things. So the Sabbath kind of became a 12-hour time out. Go sit in the corner and be quiet. Or maybe you will end up falling asleep and sleeping. And it's been that that's in some instances that the Sabbath has degenerated into in some of uh, our churches and in our families out of a great sincerity to honor God's day but outside of public worship having lost sight of uh, the purposes of that day and 
I have sought from the very beginning to keep before us the positive gift of the Sabbath. And that, yes, the prohibitions are necessary, necessary because we're sinners and, and the law is necessary because of sin. There are things that we must be warned by Scripture and taught and commanded by Scripture to turn away from. But as we saw yesterday in, in the fourth commandment, that the prohibitions are to enable us to structure our time so that we then have time for the good gifts that God has given us in public and uh, private duties on the Sabbath. Now, yesterday we talked some in the afternoon about uh, the private duties that uh, those of us who are um, young adults and, and adults uh, can do on the Lord's Day. And in this session this afternoon, I want to focus on structuring a day for our children, particularly our younger children, that left to themselves are not going to get a, a great deal of advantage uh, out of the Lord's Day and thus are going to resent it. But if we, with just a little bit of effort, structure that day for them, uh, then they will grow up loving it. Um, we recognize as adults that there are certain times we might call them sacrifices. There are certain things in our lives when we have little children that make life different. But recognizing that our children are a gift of the Lord, a heritage from Him, uh, that uh, we've been entrusted uh, to train them for Him, and that we don't resent uh, those um, pressures or time demands that are placed upon us. And th the same is going to be true for us uh, as adults who have younger children. Uh, we might like to be able to structure the Sabbath for ourselves uh, and do our thing, the things that we need. But what we'll find as parents of younger children is that we must invest in our children. And we'll have less time when they're young to invest in ourselves on the Sabbath as with the rest of life. And we recognize that that's just the privilege and the calling that God has given to us. Now in the passage that we read in Deuteronomy, God calls us to a reminder that we and our children are to observe his statutes, his laws, his judgments. And we recognize that we keep God's law not to placate him or to get him to like us, but because he has shown us his everlasting mercy in Christ Jesus. He has placed his saving love on us that we keep his law then to please him. Now there's a big difference of placation and pleasing. We don't earn God's favor. As a non-believer, we can't earn God's favor. And as a Christian, we don't earn God's favor. God's love is unconditional. God has loved us in Christ. He has redeemed us in Christ. We are accepted in Christ. And nothing that God, God has put us on a treadmill of performance. And we understand that. But because we understand grace, and we understand that our God is a precise God, then we precisely want to obey. Out of these new hearts that have been inclined unto Him. And that we can say with the psalmist, Oh, how love I thy law, that thy commandments are not a burden to me. But we understand that if we love God, we keep His commandments. And we express our love to Him by walking in the way that He has set out before us. And so the law of God is pleasurable. And I simply remind you again of that. And I remind you children and young people of that great principle that the law of God is the way of happiness. That God is not this stern old man up there in heaven who's waiting for every opportunity to make sure you don't have fun. Now, unfortunately, we sometimes think of God like that. In fact, we find ourselves falling into that idolatry when we really are blessed and life is going on. We're looking over our shoulder wondering, now when is God going to zap me? You know, we, we, I guess it's against our reformed nature to think it's, we can't have too much pleasure under God. Uh, that wouldn't be good. And, of course, we understand that God chastens us only out of love, never unnecessarily. And whatever pain God brings into our lives, 
It is only that there might be a greater joy and contentment and happiness in Him and His glory served uh, in our lives. And so God's ways are pleasurable. God loves us, wants only our best, and the way of God's Word is the way that is then best for us. It's a lie of Satan. And again, you young people need to understand this. Remember how in the Chronicles of Narnia, Edmund got tricked into eating uh, the uh, uh, Turkish delight. And it was supposed to be satisfying. And that's what Satan does. He sets before us a way of sin and promises us, well, you'll satisfy all of your pleasures, all of your desires, all of your lusts. This is, this is the way it's going to make you happy. But Satan knows it's not going to make you happy. He, has no, he doesn't want your happiness. He only promises you happiness so he can have you in his bondage. And, and so understand that all the temptations, all these desires you feel and you want to fulfill and Satan is enticing you with pleasure, it is not true happiness. It's not how God has designed you. It's like running a car without oil going to burn up and you're going to burn up now and in hell if you buy into Satan's lies he's the master of deceit his ways are not the ways of true happiness and pleasure God's ways are the ways of happiness and pleasure and we as adults and we as young people and children need to understand that Um, and so um, we as parents then have an obligation to cause our children to understand that this day is a delight and we want to make it a delight for them. Now Deuteronomy 6 reminds us that all of life is a classroom. And I remember as a uh, a Christian in college coming out of a a very bad home situation. My parents divorced when I was in the seventh grade and God's providence, that's what he used uh, is, is a major event in my life to bring me to himself two years later. But as I, as I was a Christian and I began to understand something of the beauty of the Christian home, I had this tremendous just desire to have children. And, and this was one of the passages that created that desire in me to, to live in an environment with children where everything uh, was uh, tools for learning about God and His grace. And that's what we see here, is that all of life is a great schoolroom. Our sitting down and our rising up, our going out and our coming in. Uh, you know, children ask little children, two, three, four, all these questions. And why do they ask these questions? That's how God has made them. Every question, either a temptation to a parent to give a non-answer or a... Uh, uh, a shut-off or to take them back to God. Now, I recognize there's a point where questioning becomes sinful on the part of children, but it's, it's the natural way of learning. And that's what Deuteronomy is reminding us, that every event, every circumstance in our lives, um, in the family life, the life of the child, what's going on in the world, uh, all of this is a part of their education. I can remember when we uh, had first moved to Houston, Texas, and uh, our son Joey was four years old. And one day a neighbor uh, down the street that he was went down there, some played with her uh, son, who was about six, I think. She, she says, what all do you all talk about in your house? She said, Joey came down here and said... Um, and I forget which election it was back then. I think it, um, maybe it was Reagan. Was that that long ago? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> when did Reagan first run? That's right. He won. So 79. That's right. It was 79. He was four years old. And uh, she said, Joey said that uh, President Reagan, this is when he was just running, was, was, y'all's, was his president. Who was, who was ours? And she says, what do you talk about? I said, well, we, we talk about these things at the dinner table. You know, children ask questions, and, and we talk about all kinds of things. So I try to relate that back to the Scripture, and that's 
what all of us do as, as, as Christian parents, and it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. But we recognize as well that God has given us then um, at times of formal instruction for our children. And we, we use family worship during the week or times before they go to bed at night as part of that instruction. But what we need to recognize is just as God has given us the gift of the, of the one day in seven uh, to use for the means of grace, that it is a particular gift as that time to invest in the spiritual nurture of our children. And so the Lord's Day in particular is the schoolroom of the Christian family with respect to uh, the means of grace. Now, you know, I'm an advocate of Christian education and whether you do that in the Christian school or homeschooling, it, it matters not to me. And, and we do teach um, uh, our children in those contexts, uh, not only truth in the context of the sovereignty of God, but we also will teach them truth about God from the Bible and, and church history and whatever. But just for our, as for ourselves, God has given us the Lord's Day as this means of grace. He's appointed this day as a day that we use in order to uh, teach our children. But we also then must teach our children about the importance of this day. Um, and, and here is where we begin uh, more fully to make it a delight. We, we do in the first place, as I said yesterday, by our example our own approach to the Sabbath, both in terms of what we do, but our attitude and how we structure our lives and everything else is all a powerful lesson to our children because they learn much more by what we do than by what we say. And so our, our example and our approach to the Sabbath is it a delight for us. Do we find great joy and pleasure in it? is immediately going to uh, tincture the way, color the way that they look at it. But we also then uh, want to use the Sabbath to teach our children and to teach our children about the use of the Sabbath, which is part of our ongoing instruction. Now, tomorrow we'll talk about preparation, but that is a very good time as well to get our children to start anticipating the Sabbath, but as they're old enough, as we teach them some of the first foundational principles that we'll want them to learn is why we do this the way we do, why God has appointed this day, uh, and not just expect them to do, do what we say, but to explain to them uh, that this has been given to us as a gift of God, as we've seen in, in our adult classes together. It is a day of uh, spiritual rest. In the first place, it's the day that reminds us that our hope is only in Christ, that we rest in Him and not in our works. It's the day then to remind our children that Christ alone is their hope, that it's, it's a great gift of God that you children are born into a Christian family uh, and you're in God's covenant. You have been marked by His baptism, but uh, we must constantly remind you that just being born there doesn't make you a Christian. You must have that specific work of God's grace. And the Sabbath is a great way for us as parents to bring our children back to uh, that work of God's grace that we all need and, and, and depend upon and that our rest is indeed in Christ alone. And then we teach our children why we structure the day the way we do. Uh, that again, we refrain from certain things not as ends in themselves, but as means. And we can use parallels and analogies out of our own lives. That, you know, we, if we get ready to go on a, on a vacation, there are, are certain things that we have to do ahead of time to get ready for that vacation. And, and they'll understand that, that we structure our lives in order to accomplish things. Perhaps if you're a homeschooler, you know, you remind them, you know, when we're having class, we put the phone on the answer machine so that uh, uh, at this point we're not being disturbed while, while we're studying. Uh, and so we have to structure the day. That's why we don't do certain things. And that's why uh, you don't play on this day the way you play on other days because we're trying to structure the day so that we then can um, use the day for those purposes that God has given to us. 
We then talk about those purposes, about uh, public and private worship and uh, using the means of grace and um, taking time for Christian fellowship and service and ministry. We also help our children learn to structure time, period. You know, just as uh, those that are, are serious stewards of God's resources and, and begin Christian giving you know, with a minimum of a tithe uh, are, are better stewards uh, and they make better use of their income, you're forced to do that. If uh, you're living on uh, 90% and your neighbor's living on 100%, it's a big difference in your lifestyle right off. I would constantly remind my wife and children that, you know, if we didn't tithe and have you kids in Christian school, yeah, we might have a boat and this thing or that thing. Uh, but our priorities are different. And, and uh, we live by a different standard. And, and tithing teaches you to do that. Well, uh, the Sabbath teaches us how to manage our time in the same way that tithing teaches us better how to manage our money. And these are principles that early on we can try to instill into our children that we don't procrastinate, uh, that we must uh, uh, do things that they're uh, accomplished. And if you've got uh, a paper due in school on Monday, you can't work on it on Sunday, uh, this means you better start backing up and planning ahead in case uh, there are other emergencies and eruptions on Saturday. And so uh, we, we begin to teach our children, as well as ourselves, how to use our time. And so we have this obligation to um, make the day a delight, to use it for uh, the purposes that God has established and to teach our children how and why we use it as such. Now let's break this down a little more and talk in the first place about children at church and then children at home. Uh, children at church, their place in worship. Now yesterday I really anticipated this and already talked about, uh, I believe that the Bible uh, teaches us that uh, our children should be in corporate worship. Now, I recognize that uh, in terms of, of development, that uh, children go through a, a, a certain developmental process, both physically and mentally, between six months and maybe 18 months or whatever. It's going to vary, of course, from child to child, that uh, they... They're making noise. Uh, they have to be active. This is part of their whole developmental process. And I'm not one of these that say there's no place for a nursery. I think that there's uh, certain times in the, in the development of a child that it's not wrong uh, for Christian parents to have their children uh, in a nursery or, or at least to have a, a room where a mother can go uh, with, with the children uh, because I don't think that the child is sinning when he's doing certain things physically or verbally at certain ages in his development. Uh, but for the most part, I believe that children can learn uh, right there in, uh, ta as toddlers uh, how to be in church and uh, how to um, worship and to profit from it. Again, part of their ability to do that goes back to what we do with them in family worship know that when my wife and I uh, were doing family worship, we didn't, neither one of us had any models. And uh, she was always concerned that, you know, we don't tax the children too much and, and we try to uh, 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 always keep in mind that, that they were there and, and what their um, abilities were and such as that. But uh, as I've grown older and I've watched other couples, I have found that... Um, uh, families that actually will spend more time in family worship and, and teach their children to be quiet there and to sing and to participate, actually those children do better in uh, worship um, from having longer family worship than really trying to tailor family worship to meet um, what would be their more limited natural limits. But whatever your approach is to that, the children need to be in worship as part of the covenant community, and there are things that we can do that will help them then uh, enjoy worship. Uh, there are some things that we should keep in mind just in terms of, of their behavior that will, in the long run, 
uh, benefit them. Um, on the one hand, we need to understand that there's not necessarily anything wrong with some fidgeting and, and moving. I mean, I, you know, I'm 51 years old, and I have trouble sitting in one position for more than a few minutes. I start aching. So I'm, you could say I'm a fidgeter um, uh, in church. And, uh, you know, there's, there's certain... Some people moving helps them to, to pay attention. And so as parents, we should not be overly concerned about some movement on the part of our children. And those of us who do not have or no longer have young children need to be very patient with the other families then in the church that have small children and not get uptight because the child in front of us is, is moving some back and forth. We should thank the Lord that that child is there and uh, be uh, patient with uh, uh, that movement back and forth. We need to give some thought as parents to where we sit with our children. I know that we often tend to sit in the back because we'll have to get up with them and, and whatever if, if, if they have to go to the bathroom or if they have to be taken out and be disciplined. But I have found, as perhaps many of you have already found, that the closer to the front a child is in church, the easier it is for them to uh, pay attention and to participate. Uh, you know, for little eyes and little bodies, in the back of the church, it gets very impersonal. But if they're up there toward the front, they're much more a part of what's going on, and I believe it's much easier for them to uh, participate in what is going on. And then, children, there's this matter that you love very much, and it's the matter of discipline. You tend to have a, 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 a built-in antenna that you know when you've got your parents over the barrel, at least you think you do, and so it's always in public that you tend to try us the most. Uh, here's where you're going to uh, uh, press the edge of the envelope and uh, just see what you can get away with, because after all, uh, it's in public, and perhaps they won't come down on you as, as hard. And, and we recognize that we live in a society, when we get outside of, of the church body, that uh, you children are really playing with fire because you've put your parents into a very precarious situation. You act up in public. You force them to, to have to exercise their Christian responsibility and discipline you, and you're putting them into difficulty because there's people all around us now that are simply waiting take you away from your parents if they discipline you. I saw, you know, it wasn't a big deal when we were raising our children. We stopped one day at a, at a when I, we, we lived in Philadelphia and we would make our annual trek to the south, which you had to do at least once a year. It's like going to Mecca. And uh, <laughs> we do it at, at, uh, at Christmas time. And, but one time uh, uh, it was necessary to uh, cut a nice uh, switch at the roadside park and use it. And a, a lady there cussed me out for uh, spanking my child. And this was 20 years ago. Now it's a lot worse now. And there are actually uh, public prosecutors that are willing to prosecute people if they leave marks on the behind of their children. And so children, you need to understand that you're playing quite dangerously when you get in public and you push your parents. Uh, because, yes, your parents are in a difficult situation. Uh, and it might be that I have to say, well, when, when we get home, which is not the most ideal way to discipline you, but we might have to say that, but then it's probably going to be worse when you get home because this is a very deliberate offense and it deserves even a more serious uh, punishment. But in church, they can take you out. <laughs> not to the nursery. I have seen the child with a smile on his face when he finally got picked up and carried out because he knew he was going to the nursery. Ah, big mistake. Not to the nursery, to the bathroom. Little discipline applied back into the place of worship. It only takes that once or twice, doesn't it, kids? And then you'll understand that, well, I have to behave in worship. And of course, this fits into the context of of how we raise our children rest of the week. If our children understand that our no means no and our command means you must now obey, I'm not going to tell you twice or three times or four times, well then the whispered, be quiet in church, will become sufficient. And so it all fits together as a part of the, the, the whole of what we're doing. But uh, we can teach our children how to behave. I, I know some 
people actually will have their children sit on the couch for 30 minutes and be quiet during the week just to help them to learn to sit still and to be quiet. And there's lots of different things and I, I thought perhaps at the end we might even open this up because there'll be many of you that will have uh, insights every bit as good or better than mine in terms of what you're doing with your children on the Lord's Day. But we, uh, we bring them into worship, but we teach them how to behave, but we also teach them how to worship. You know, the, the best thing that can be said for children's church is that at least they take them into children's church and they, they'll teach them uh, uh, how to worship. But we should be doing that at home. And there we can teach the children hymns, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed. Um, many of the things they're doing in worship are things that, that we can help them memorize. Uh, we teach them the hymns through family worship so that they can uh, take uh, part in the use of those hymns. Uh, we, we use family prayers to teach them how to follow in prayer. We talk about now when somebody else is praying, you make that your prayer and here's why and here's some things that will help you do that. And we uh, teach them how to listen to a sermon. And we can do that um, uh, by sitting with them uh, uh, when they're little, perhaps uh, drawing a picture or some pictures for them that will help them uh, key in visually and, and what's, what's being said. And you know, there's a great difference of opinion about taking notes uh, for adults and um, some people will listen better not taking notes and, and some will listen better taking notes. But children, it's a good way to teach them to begin to listen, go from the pictures to writing down uh, key words that they hear and understand and then begin to teach them uh, how to, uh, to take notes on a sermon and then discuss that sermon with them. And so we can help them worship and listen. And then, of course, we who are pastors... Uh, need to uh, be aware in our worship services and in our sermons that the children are there and speak to them um, so they'll know that we care about them and that there's things, uh, truths and applications and illustrations that are in the sermon uh, that are there for them so that they can uh, pick up on that. And it really is amazing then what uh, little ones hear and remember uh, out of a sermon. And I, I, you know that. I mean, sometimes you'll ask a rhetorical question and the child answers it out loud. You know, a four-year-old, you know he's listening. Or you'll get a, ugh. And uh, they do listen. And uh, there's things that we can do to help them listen. But that's exactly where they should be. That's their place on the Lord's Day uh, with the worshiping people. And then children at church, we've got this whole matter of Sabbath school which I think is a very important thing, particularly if you have your children in worship. Because I believe the Bible uh, does teach, at least by implication, the necessity of training a child according to his abilities. And I think it's uh, Kylan Dalich that take that passage in Proverbs and when it says, train up a child according to his ways when he's old he'll not depart thereof. And they're saying according to his educational development. Just because uh, a pagan Piaget uh, drew our attention to the fact that children go through learning stages doesn't mean it's wrong, does it? In fact, if you go back to the Bible, uh, God's people went through learning stages, right? There was a minority and uh, a maturity, uh, a full inheritance, and God dealt with his people in a minority in, in one way, in terms of a, of a strict, um, uh, almost a legalism. Uh, you know, we do that with our children. We don't put a gun into their hands when they're five. Uh, we don't put them behind a steering wheel when they're 12. We say that in their youth, there are certain things that either they don't have the judgment or the physical reflexes to handle. And so uh, we train them unto those ends. And I believe that we are to train our children according to uh, their uh, mental development and their spiritual development. That's always been a philosophy behind the, the curriculum of Great Commission publications uh, where you would first learn the facts of the Bible story, then you'd come back and you'd put those facts into covenantal uh, arrangement, uh, or chronology, then covenantal arrangement, and finally you'd begin to work on the doctrines and stuff like that. And so if children are in 
worship under the sermon, that's not something that's going to be broken down in terms of learning ability and characteristics, which is why I believe that uh, it's good for the church to supplement the learning of the child by having some age characteristic specific instruction, just as you're doing here at family camp. Now, this is necessary because uh, in our churches, uh, we are finding um, people who are opposed to uh, uh, Sunday schools broken down in terms of of the ages of children and age characteristics. And I think it's something we really need to be careful about. We always have recognized that Sunday school is only supplementary. It is not primary. It's the parents' responsibility primarily to instruct their children. And so that in the Reformed Church, Sunday school has never been envisioned to replace or to um, supersede a parental responsibility, but to supplement. But as supplement, it is very important. I think we have to be very careful. I mean, there's been many good things that I think we have rediscovered about the family. But I also believe that there is a cult of family that is idolatry. And it's interesting that one of the places where it's coming out is in the Sabbath, in two areas. In the first place, that we won't have any specialized Sabbath instruction at the church for our children. That's just done in the family. And the second thing that, we're, that I'm hearing as I'm out and about talking on this subject is that, well, uh, after all, the, the Sabbath is a family day. And so it's a day for me to have my children maybe to the park or the zoo and make sure I invest good time in them. And, and then we begin to denigrate not just Sunday school but also uh, worship, particularly uh, Sunday evening worship. Well, I've got my children home with me. Now again, I might be stepping on toes. If I'm doing so, I can promise you it is in pure ignorance in terms of this group. Now, in other places when I've done this, I've known what I'm doing, but here I don't. Uh, <laughs> but I really think this is things that we must consider covenantally. One thing is uh, we are very we're close to the possibility of, of, of denying what God has given us in terms of ordained office bearers in the church. God has appointed pastors and elders to teach, not just men, or not just parents, but to teach all the congregation. And in the Old Covenant, the Levites had the responsibility to uh, be teaching uh, throughout the cities and villages of, of Israel. A second thing to keep in mind in our own Reformed tradition is that oftentimes when we, when we think about Sunday school, we've only thought about one stream that helped develop Sunday school, and that came out of the 18th century England and Robert Rains and, and all that came out of that, first to have a school on the Sabbath for poor children, and that eventually when uh, education became more available in the colonies, then the churches took that over as a way first to evangelize and, and then to, to nurture. And, and that is one uh, stream that has fed uh, Sunday school. It has some things about it that are unfortunate, but it also has some things about it that are quite useful. But there's another stream that we have really forgotten about, and that is that uh, from the beginning of the Reformation, the Reformation churches all had Lord's Day catechism classes taught by the pastor and the elders. And for, for me, there's uh, the uh, stream that's most important for covenantal Sabbath school in, in the church. That there has always been recognized in Reformed churches the role of the church supplementary in teaching the children. And so I, I have expanded this a little bit simply because I recognize it is a discussion that's going on in the OPC and the PCA, and I think it's uh, an important thing at least to interact with um, as you're thinking about these things and that um, uh, the children at church have a place in worship but I believe also uh, a useful role with Sabbath school. Well, let's go on then and talk about the uh, children at home. And here I just quickly want to list some learning and service activities and then if we have some time we can come back and discuss it and then some physical activities, and then two benefits. I've already mentioned 
the need at home to uh, discuss the sermon with the children, so I'm not going to go back over that. But it's also a very important time to review their Sunday school material. Again, you make it a family. All right, what did you do in Sunday school today? What did you learn? Look at the material, the handouts. And also a very good time to look at what's going to be studied next week. I wrote for Great Commission Publications for a number of years, and I was kind of a... uh, one of the few lone voices in the wilderness that thought we should not give up on um, assignments in Sunday school. Now, eventually we did. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the parents' fault. Because the children didn't do them, but the parents didn't do them or have the children do them. And so, you know, now we get these little nice handouts to bring home, but we really have lost a great educational value and and it needs to be recovered. But again, we as parents have to be going over that material with our children, not only what they have done, but also to be sure they've got memory work or whatever uh, Bible uh, reading to do for the next week, um, those types of things to do that. In connection with that, to help our children establish their own patterns of Bible reading and prayer, the Lord's Day is a good time to uh, give them instruction in how to read the Bible and to help them to establish Uh, those um, patterns in their own life. I mentioned yesterday extended devotions. And I simply want to add on to that is it's a great time for the children to have a greater role in participation because you have more time so that uh, uh, they can participate in the reading. Um, And as children are learning to read, they love to do that. And then as they participate in the reading, it also helps them remember more of the things that they have read and so, uh, structure the devotion so that they take part in the reading and the singing and, and the prayers and such as that. In connection with that, children uh, can act out Bible stories. We kept uh, uh, some uh, Bible costumes and uh, the children enjoyed then uh, dressing up and acting out uh, some Bible stories. And that also gave them an outlet for energy but it also caused them to review the story. And then we could talk about what the story meant for them uh, after they would do something like that. Another thing that children really enjoy doing is preparing programs for their parents. And so uh, we can say, now y'all go off and put together now a program with some music and scripture and catechism and come back. It's, that's a good thing you do when you're having um, uh, two or three couples together for, for fellowship as we talked about yesterday the children are old enough they can go off or, or maybe the older ones can help the younger ones put together uh, a program for the adults. And then you'll find them doing this spontaneously. I was talking to uh, a friend in Escondido. They had an anniversary a couple of weeks ago and their girls are, oh, five, four, and three or something like that. And on their own, for the parents' anniversary, the girls put together a program with some hymns and some scripture and catechism memory. And children love doing that and it's a great way again for them to uh, review and and learn as well as to get uh, the the concept of of service. And then it's um, a very important time for more formal instruction. Uh, Scripture, Bible study, catechetical instruction, uh, doctrinal instruction catechetical review and memorization. We just must keep doing it over and over again. And and there's ways that we can be creative with that as well. Uh, It doesn't have to be the same old uh, rote routine. Uh, When Joey was about three, he kind of got in that pattern that, you know, catechism wasn't as interesting. And so he had a, a Lincoln log set, which were these little logs you build a log. I said, let's tell you what, Joey, let's build us a mission station. So we got the Lincoln Logs and we built a mission station and we put some children. I said, no, let's teach these children the catechism. <laughs> oh, it was great. And uh, he learned the catechism, but indirectly, he thinks about missions. He thinks about what missionaries do. And there's things that we can do like that. And that leads to the whole discussion of uh, Sabbath toys. I know that some families have a box of Sabbath toys. These are toys that just could be played with on on Sunday, and, and that in itself is not a bad idea, but we've got to go back to our principle. Does this promote the purposes of the day? 
So it got to be things that are going to either by our direction or games that are designed or whatever to promote the purpose, not just to pacify the children, but to promote the purposes of the day. And then we have the area of videos, which is something that, again, our, uh, that we have now that we didn't have when my kids were little. Some very sound and good things on uh, videos that the children, little children, can look at and profit from. But again, we have to be careful we don't turn the video into a babysitter so that we can do our thing. It's got to be used with care and, and with purpose, not merely as a filler. And preferable over uh, the video is family reading, where... Uh, parents are reading to the children and older children read to the younger children, which also causes a, a wonderful bond to take place uh, in the family. But reading to the ones that cannot read for themselves um, gives them a delight in the Sabbath. It uh, builds wonderful uh, relationships and uh, family memories. It's often a thing that continues so that the families that have done that will often continue the practice and even as teenagers and young adults they'll still have a family reading circle uh, where on Sunday evenings or whatever they uh, read together. Uh, some of you know Joel Beakey. He told me that his father from youngest age on up read Pilgrim's Progress to them on Sunday nights and they'd read it through and they'd start it over again I guess. And, and his, the memories of that and then of the conversations that he and his father would have afterwards now, to this day, are precious to him and have been quite valuable in his own uh, instruction. It also gives our children a love for not just reading, but for, for Christian books and, and classics so that they then, as they learn to read for themselves, we have those books in the family library for them. And particularly, uh, biographies and missionary stories are great for young children as they learn to read, uh, which gives them um, good role models and heroes and, and a heart for missions as they, plus it, it, it meets their need for adventure which children have in, in their own hearts and, and they're reading everything a little and you know you give them this kind of adventure as well as there's not now many fine Christian novels and, and stuff that uh, are quite useful uh, for our children and so these are things that we do and then something that I think, again, is a lost art, at least in many circles, is that we should be discussing with our children experimentally the Lord's ways in our lives so that uh, we, we tell our children about how God worked in us through our covenant family or through our parents and grandparents or how he brought us to himself as teenagers and and what we were doing when they were age. And we talk about God's ways and how mommy and daddy met and how they live here and, and how daddy ended up having believing that this was God's uh, calling and vocation for him. Or take out the family picture book and go back and look at uh, grandparents and, and uh, cousins and talk about God as he, as he has worked in the life of this family. And, and talk to your children about the ways of God in your own heart and life so that uh, they become accustomed to an intimate and personal conversation about God and about um, the ways of God and, and the lessons that God has taught you. And then you talk to them about God in their life and how do they think and feel and what are they going through. And, you know, particularly bedtime is a, is a great time to talk about uh, these things, uh, tender moments and, and intimate conversation about the ways of God. And You know, if we do that, uh, it, it'll be very rare then when our child becomes a teenager that he's not going to talk to us about personal things because we've talked to him about personal things, the, the most personal of all things. And there's that, uh, again, uh, the environment, the habit, the ethos of all that has, has uh, gone on and continues then. And then there's the whole area of, of service that um, we again touched on yesterday, so I won't go back to that now, just the importance of uh, involving our children in 
uh, ministry, taking them to the nursing home, letting the older ones do nursing home uh, ministries and visit the shut-ins and, and different activities in the church. Quickly then a word on physical activities. As I mentioned, we are wrong to expect, particularly our younger ones who go full tilt six days a week to screech down to snail's pace on Sunday. You know, their bodies are screaming for an outlet. And we have to keep that in mind. That, that, I mean, personally, I don't think my children should be outside playing on the Lord's Day. But I've got to then realize that they've got energy that's going to have to have creative outlets. And so we also structure the day with that in mind. You know, maybe getting down on the floor and tussling for uh, 15 or 20 minutes uh, in the afternoon just to help them to get rid of some energy. Others might go in the backyard and throw a ball or something. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's the end in view that you have to keep in mind and whatever you're comfortable in doing. The whole purpose is, is to help them keep the Sabbath with joy. It doesn't become an end in itself, whatever is the thing that you do. But some other creative things. I've already mentioned skits and, and uh, programs. Uh, but uh, uh, taking the children for walks and on those walks talking about the ways of God. A uh, good time to talk to them about um, God in your own life and God in their life or use those walks to um, do catechism. Dick DeWitt talks about his father taking him for walks when he was young and, and they'd play a game. They'd, they'd talk about Notice some different things that God made. And so they would go on there and they would talk about the things that, that God made. And that's something that we did with our children. And, and perhaps even um, um, picnics. When we were in Philadelphia, the children were two and four and going on up from there, I guess. And we were there three years. But, and we lived right on the edge of the city. And, and Sunday was the loudest day where we lived. All of our neighbors had boom boxes in their backyard. And so uh, we often took refuge in a park where we would take a lunch, we'd sit down and eat our lunch, and then we'd go for a walk and we'd review catechism and have a great time together. And it got us out of the noise, it got us into a very wonderful pastoral environment and gave the children a release for their energy, but also we were able to use that for the purposes of the Sabbath. You have to be careful when you do stuff like that that you don't place them into uh, more distractions. But these are the kind of things that we can do that will be very useful for them. Okay, two benefits as we make the day a delight for our children. The first is simply remind you that Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 applies to children and not just adults. And frankly... As I look at the families over the last 25 years that I know of that have sought to raise their children in a more careful observance of the Sabbath, across the board, I see more spiritually mature young people and young adults. God's sovereign, I recognize that. But God blesses these means, and I've seen them time and again come to bear in the lives of children who've been raised with a careful but delightful approach to the Sabbath. The second benefit is just say no. We all recognize the problem that, that we as adults have, but it's particularly a, a very strong temptation for teenagers uh, with respect to peer pressure. Uh, you know, they feel that and they feel it strongly and uh, powerful temptations can come to uh, young people through uh, peer pressure. By a careful observance of the Sabbath, you've trained your children from their youngest conscious days to say no. You just think about it. Johnny comes across the street. Can Joey come over and play baseball? Well, no. First you might answer, but then Joey's going to answer for himself, well, no, I don't do that on Sunday. Or we don't do that on Sunday. And he has to learn to say no. He's living by a different standard as a little fellow. And that becomes inbred in him by God's grace. And he learns to say no. 
and has learned to say it young, that one is able to say it uh, when he's older. A child can also learn that he can be the peer pressure. It doesn't always happen this way, but uh, I know one time a, a friend of our son's had a birthday party. It was going to be on Sunday, and Joey said, well, you know, I can't come. It's on Sunday, and the little boy went home. I guess Joey was about five then. He said, I don't want to have my party on Sunday because Joey can't come. So they had it on Saturday, and the rest of the time that we lived there, they had it on Saturday because he wanted Joey to come. Now, kids, it won't always happen that way. As I said uh, the other day, uh, there'll be times that you will be deprived of things that your friends will get to do. But that's also a blessing that God is giving to you, and he will do wonderful things in your life for that. I do know, though, of coaches and, and activities that have changed, and, and we, we're reminded by that that it's by taking stands that change will ever come. Change will not come if we capitulate. If you let your children go play soccer on Sunday, it's the only way they're going to play, no change is going to come, is it? It might come if you prayerfully say no. Now, it might not. God might have other things in store for us. But the only way it's going to come is when we prayerfully take stands and learn to say no. And then pray to God, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he'll vindicate us in this matter as well. And he'll once again uh, cause a love of his day to prevail in the church and in society. It will happen in this generation. Many things that I do as a pastor, I don't expect to see different in my lifetime. But I do believe that God will do things. And I'm laboring for your generation and the homes that you kids will have one day. Now, God might do more for us now, and you know, praise His name if He does so. But that doesn't matter. Our calling is to be faithful. If we don't see the results, we don't see the results. We'll leave that to Him. But we can make the Sabbath a delight for our children. Well, I really didn't. It's right at two. Uh, people, anybody have just some quick practical suggestions, that, uh, things that I didn't touch on? Henry. question is the, the comfort encouragement we give to parents who have sought to raise their children uh, more carefully in this way and yet when the children have grown older they have rebelled um, and in contrast to maybe those that were more negligent and lax. I think the first thing to, to keep in mind for all of us as parents is that uh, it's not our faithfulness, it's God's faithfulness. And uh, those of us who have raised our children up to college and beyond uh, recognize when they left home, particularly that first time, at least I recognized what an abysmal failure uh, I was as a father. And I wish I could do it all over again. But the thing I came to realize is that probably 20 years from now, if I did it all over again and acted on the things that I know now that I didn't know then, I'd still feel like an abysmal failure. We're sinners. And there's things that I wish I had done differently, um, and, but I recognize in the final analysis that it's God who saves my children and gives them uh, the proper convictions and, and not me. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that uh, God doesn't operate on my time schedule. And because I don't see things now doesn't mean that He's not doing them and won't do them. And so again, I wait on him and I plead with him that he will have mercy on my children. He'll bless the means that I tried to use. And, you know, perhaps you'll even die before you see one of your children come back from rebellion. But you don't die in despair. No, this is a matter that you leave with God and you plead with him uh, for his mercy. And the third thing is, 
that uh, as I said in a different context, I guess it was yesterday or maybe it was even uh, Monday night. Um, it's only in grace that we have a real tomorrow. And if you have uh, uh, not done right by your children and you recognize that in any number of ways in terms of Christian nurture, well, God's Word is quite clear what you do. You ask God to forgive you, but you also go to your children and ask them to forgive you. You say, you know, I, I did some things wrong and I recognize that now. I've asked God to forgive me and I want you to forgive me. And um, they might laugh at you, but uh, that can have a powerful impact in their lives. And that really is your hope, is grace. And that God is a God of grace. He delights in being gracious. And we just keep coming back and we leave it there with Him then. for that. That is very important. Again, that's part of our covenantal obligation and our... Oh, the, repeat. The, uh, the wife of the pastor who has children uh, that she's having to take care of by herself in church, her husband's in the pulpit, and of course today we also have uh, uh, increasingly single parent families in our churches and uh, the, just the encouragement to the body of Christ and to the elders to be sure that the pastor's wives and others in that situation have other people in church sitting with them are taking some of the children to sit with different families. That is very important. And then Mrs. Keller raising her hand reminds me of something that uh, her folks did, that all, just a little extra thing that made the Sabbath special, and that was in the evening then for supper, Maybe I should say this in front of kids. <laughs> At least in their home, whatever they wanted for supper, they could have. It was their night to uh, ask for what they wanted, and they got it. And I won't tell you what she asked for. <laughs> won't give you that many ideas, but uh, that was good. Good. Okay, church bag. Each child has his own church bag. Crayons, paper, later on, their Bible. And so as they take notes and draw pictures and such, they have their bag, it goes with them. It becomes a very special tool to help them in worship. As they're older, their own notebook uh, is also a very useful thing that you then use with them to uh, review their sermon notes and, and uh, encourage them to do that. Thank you. That's good. Other suggestions? Good, good. To sing into the ear of the children that can't. Uh, it's not a question. I'm repeating what she said. That's okay, Doc. She was saying, yeah, she was saying to uh, to sing into the ear of the children that uh, can't yet read or know how to carry a tune or whatever, which helps them begin to get some of the words. 
and, and the tune and to learn to sing. In connection with that, uh, the pastors and elders, as you lead worship, uh, note those uh, words that will give a wrong visual impression uh, to a child and uh, use the opportunity of leading worship to uh, explain that um, uh, this word doesn't mean what you're going to picture in your mind. It means something else. And then explain what it means. Or archaic words. I mean, I think we need those words. The hymns would not be the classics they are, but that means we need to explain some of the uh, terminology. Raleigh? Okay. Printing up crossword puzzles for the young children so they can fill them in as they listen to the sermon. Other types of puzzles and pre-prepared notes uh, help children uh, in the worship service as well. And some churches do what your family does and actually have a little packet each Sunday for the children that would go along with, with the sermon. You also can, uh, the church could tie in the text into family worship. I know a church in Canada that does that, and the pastor prepares each week uh, family worship uh, texts and questions that have to do then with either the sermon of the week before or the one that's coming up. Okay, did you get your wide-angle pictures? Yes. So they can go? He must. He got up. I <laughs> am. 